This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The guest speaker is featured on this message. Many of you know Dave, Dave and Stacy and their story, but some of you do not. And they've been members of our church for about six years. And a lot of, the, of that time, they've been training at a linguistic school in Dallas, and they just finished up some studies this, this December at the same location. And that's how we discovered them six years ago, they, or over six years ago, actually. They came and just visited our church, and, and it felt like the Lord was leading, up, leading them to be a part of our church. And they have four kids, and they were all really little then, and they're still little now, but they were really little then. And they just, at the height of just busyness of life and activity, they came to be a part of Grace Church with this calling on their life uh, to be Bible translators among the Bakum people in Cameroon. And we were a smaller church at that time, and, and um, I mean, we, we, we weren't ready to, to, for them, and they weren't ready for us, but we said, come on, and, and we just, you know, found a, a, a partnership together and uh, the Lord over that time has started to put the Bakum people on our hearts as he's put that on their hearts. And so you're going to hear more about that today and thrilled that you are. And one of the things that I believe that the Lord is going to put on all of our hearts as you hear Dave and Stacy, is God's heart for people. And uh, they have a heart for 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 people, uh, God's given his heart to them for, for people everywhere, not just in Cameroon, but locally. As they've served here, they've served in kids' ministries and um, vacation Bible school. Every opportunity that they've been able to serve, they have. They are regular teachers. Many of you see them every single week teaching uh, in our kids' ministry in the K-1 class. Every single Sunday, they're back there serving while they're going to school to go back to Cameroon and serve. And he's got tons of stories about serving people in, in the Cameroon people. He is they're like, they do all kinds of things. He's like the town mayor and he's settling disputes and he's like an electrician and just anything that they need him for, he's doing. And that's that same heart has been here at this church for these six years. So we're so grateful for Dave and Stacy, and you guys just welcome Dave as he comes today to bring God's word. Well, good morning. Um, like Rob said, my name is Dave. My wife, Stacy, and my kids are over here. But instead of having them stand up, I'll put a picture up here. There we go. Um, our kids are adopted from Ethiopia. And so we're Americans raising Ethiopians in Cameroon, um, which is a little bit confusing, but um, that's who we are. So we left here actually in 2013, and we went first to France. Spent about a year there learning French, which is a government language in Cameroon. And then we moved to Cameroon. And so we spent uh, three years in Cameroon. The majority of that was living in a small village among the Bakum people. There's about 10,000 Bakum people. They don't have a written language at all. So our job has been to learn their language and then to analyze it. And we're hoping to go back this summer and we'll start literacy and start the Bible translation process there. And uh, so we're back here getting a little bit more training before we begin that process. And this was our first Christmas season um, here in America um, after being away for four years. And we were really blessed. It's amazing to live in a country where we can spend time with our family during Christmas. But not only that, but when you go to the mall, they're playing songs about Jesus. And you see posters about Jesus everywhere you go. Um, Texas is even, uh, it sticks out from other states in that uh, Jesus is just everywhere in Texas. And uh, it's really encouraging, um, especially because it's the exact opposite. I don't know if you can have a more different climate uh, being here in Texas of being in the village among the Bakum. Um, there are basically no Bakum Christians. And so there, there's two or three that might be Christians, and if they are, they're very baby Christians. Um, but the hardest part about living in a village in Cameroon so far has really been the Christmas season. Um, and that's because there, there aren't Christians there. They've heard of Christmas. They've even heard of Jesus to a certain degree. And they know at Christmas time we're supposed to celebrate. And so they celebrate during the whole Christmas season, during the New Year's season, they celebrate the way that they're used to celebrating things, which is drinking lots of alcohol and then doing all the things that happen after you drink lots of alcohol. And so um, Christmas season is, the Christmas season is really difficult for us because we're surrounded by a culture that is untouched by God's word, 
doing things, uh, living life like people who are untouched by God's word. And, um, and I can remember our first, first Christmas in the village. Um, it was the most depressing time of my life. Uh, I was going out and breaking up fights in our front yard, and uh, I was, uh, you know, missing my own family and our traditions. And at the, I didn't know it at the time, but I also had malaria, and so it was just really, just a really hard time. And uh, at that point, there just came a point. It was, it was right around Christmas, maybe right about now, January, early January, where I was like, I just do not want to be here. And I had to wrestle, and I still have to wrestle with the question of why am I there? Why do I live in Cameroon when I could be in Texas, when I could be going to malls and hearing um, Oh Holy Night come on the, the radio when I'm in the mall? And what's funny about that is, as I've been reflecting about it, it's really because of Christmas that I'm in Cameroon. And... Uh, when I say that, I don't mean the, the Christmas trees. We're not trying to import all that stuff into to Cameroon or anything. But I'm talking about Jesus. Um, the reason we celebrate Christmas is because we celebrate the incarnation. We celebrate Christ coming as a baby and living a life for us here. And that's why I want to live among them so they can know Jesus. And I want to explore that a little bit more. Explore why Jesus even came and what he accomplished um, in looking at God's word in Isaiah 55. So you guys can open your Bibles to Isaiah 55. My goal for this morning is to just have a better understanding of the incarnation, of why Christ came. We're going to look at, at what, why he came and why that motivates us as Christians to do missions. And also, I hope that we'll walk away gr- more greatly treasuring God's word and with a desire then also to share it more. Specifically, we're going to look at verses 8 through 13. And in this passage, in verses 8 through 13, we're going to first see a problem. The problem is that we are distant from God. Then we're going to see a solution, which is that God's word bridges the gap between us and God. And then the result of that solution is eternal joy. So I'm going to read Isaiah 55, starting in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy, and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So like I said, the first thing that we see in this passage in verse 8 is that there's a problem. And that problem is that we are distant from God. You see that in verse 8 again. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. I think this is not just talking about the fact that God works, he operates in a way that's different from us. But I believe the focus here is on God's moral purity. God is so pure that evil has no place with him. And I think at first glance, that's a really good thing. We wouldn't want a God who was evil or who delighted in evil, right? And in fact, Psalm 5 tells us, you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. I think we're really fortunate to have this kind of a God. Could you imagine what it would be like if we had a God who was evil or a God who delighted in what was evil? We would never know how he would respond in any situation. We couldn't trust a God like that. But the Bible tells us that instead we have a God who always hates sin. He always speaks the truth. He always rejects what is evil. And he always abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. And like I said, this is good. That is, it's good unless you are the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. And listen to how God describes Israel in this passage. We just, just above what we read before in verse 7, God says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. 
So God in this passage is calling Israel wicked and unrighteous. Our, call, our passage, the chapter 55, is a, a call to the people of Judah, Israel, the southern kingdom, while they're in captivity. And what had happened, if you read through the book of Isaiah, at the beginning of Isaiah, they're living in Judah, they're living in Israel. They had just recently seen the northern kingdom, which is called Israel, be taken away into captivity by the Assyrians. And so Israel, Isaiah comes to them, because God calls him to, and says, hey, Judah, don't do this. Repent from your sins, turn away from it. Stop worshiping idols, and if you don't stop worshiping idols, you're going to end up in captivity just like the northern kingdom did. But about midway through the book of Isaiah, we see that they don't listen. They just continue to worship idols. They continue to sin against God. And so God sends Babylon in, and Babylon takes Judah out of of Israel and into Babylon to be slaves. And this, is, this passage now is a call to them while they're in captivity, telling them that they still have an opportunity to, re- to repent. They still have an opportunity to forsake their, their way and to forsake their thoughts. So as I said, the holiness of God is a comfort, but it's really only a comfort to those who are on God's side. And here in Isaiah, he's reminding Judah that they are not on God's side. He's calling them to, to repent so that they could be in God's favor once again. Now, you might think when I say that, well, okay, so he's, uh, he's talking about Judah, so I don't really have to worry about the sin part. But the problem is in, in Psalm 14, the Bible tells us that the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. The Lord's assessment is that all of his image bearers here in, here in America and over in Cameroon have turned aside from who, whom they were created to be and have become corrupt. And you guys know Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We fall short of God's glory because he is holy and we are not. His ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts, and he is holy and pure and we are not. So God has never sinned in his anger. He's never lusted after a woman. He's never lied to make other people think better about him. He's never cheated on exam. But we have. Every single one of us has sinned here in America, in Cameroon, all over the world. We have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so the biggest problem in the entire world is that we're not like God. In order to understand this passage and in order to understand the gospel, we have to first understand that people are not good. All people... In America, Cameroon, and China have fallen short of God's glory. And the reason I emphasize this is that our perspective of man's sinfulness affects the way that we do international missions. There's an understanding I've read among some people today that those who are living in countries that have never heard of Jesus before are basically good. They just maybe need some more information or some more resources in order to be right. But left to themselves, they're not distant from God, even if they've never heard of Jesus Christ. And I can tell you with absolute certainty that that's not true. We found among the Bakum that they are not a people who by nature seek after God. In fact, they live lives that are full of deep spiritual bondage. Specifically, in their culture, they believe that the, the spirits of the dead stay with them. So if you ask a kid in our village and say, where are the spirits of the dead? They would say, all around us. And so they believe that the spirit of their grandmother who just died or their uncle or their great-great-grandparent, their ancestors, they believe that that all of their spirits are watching them, everything that they do. And they believe that these spirits can affect their lives, either for the good or for the bad. And so they constantly are doing whatever they can to try to get into the favor of these spirits so that they're blessed and not cursed. You can see this probably most clearly during their funeral celebrations. They have six-day funeral celebrations when someone dies. They, they dance and they sing and they, they drum their drums and they stay there. They sleep next to the tomb and uh, they also buy a lot of alcohol and then they drink a lot of alcohol. And they're doing all this because basically they're wanting to throw a huge party for the person who died so that person believes that they love them so that then they won't curse them. But what tends to happen when people stay up all night and don't sleep and drink alcohol is they tend to fight with one another. They don't, they don't get along better because they're doing that. 
And so one day after one of these funeral celebrations, our neighbor came up to our house just in a frenzy. And she just was crying and and screaming. And she said, please, you have to help me. My son is lying unconscious because he got into a fight at one of these funerals and was clubbed over the head. In the ensuing fight, she lifted up her skirt and she had a human bite mark on her thigh because in this ensuing fight, she had been bitten severely during that process. I think it's really hardly surprising that there would be conflict and fighting at these type of funerals, especially when you see that from a biblical perspective, they're not, they're not doing all of these things before the spirits of their ancestors. There are spirits around us, spirits that are wanting conflict and fighting, and spirits that are at those funerals, but they're not their ancestors. By nature, no one worships God. In fact, by nature, the Bible tells us we worship demons. There was a missionary who went out at one point and he went overseas with a wrong understanding of God and with a wrong understanding of man. And so he said, I went to the mission field to keep a bad, man, bad God from sending good men to hell. When I arrived, I discovered that they were monsters of iniquity. People apart from God are not good. That is because God is good. And our ways are not his ways. And our thoughts are not his thoughts. We have all rejected God, whether or not we have specifically rejected the gospel. And the result of this is that there's a great chasm between us and God. You can see that chasm in verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So there's a vast distance between God and man. In the pre-scientific world, when you were wanting to describe a vast distance, one of the ways you could do that was to describe the distance between the earth and the heavens. So if I took a, a measuring tape and I started here on the earth and I just went up, when would I ever stop? That's the idea. It's, it's immeasurable. It's unfathomable. And in the same way, the Bible tells us there's an unfathomable distance between man and God because of our sin and because of God's moral perfection. And there's no way for us to cross that gap in our own power. So it would be like trying to jump from the earth into the heavens. It's impossible. And this sad truth about the state of man applies to all of us who are here today, but also to everyone in the whole world. It applies to those of us who have heard the gospel and have since been reconciled to God, but it also applies to those who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. God sits up in heaven And we are here on earth, and we have no means of crossing that gap. And that is the world's greatest problem. And just to be honest with you, I wouldn't live in Cameroon if there wasn't a problem. I'm really not the adventurer type. I really love air conditioning and high-speed internet and all of the wonderful blessings that we have here in America. And it would be really silly of me to go over there and live a harder life in a village if there wasn't a problem. But it would also just be foolish for me to go if I knew there was a problem but I didn't know the solution. And fortunately, this passage tells us there is a solution to the the world's greatest problem. We read that in verses 10 and 11. We see that God's word is bridging the gap. Read that with me. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall it, it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So heaven and earth are impossibly distant from one another, just as man is from God. But everyone knows there is something that crosses that boundary of heaven and earth, and it's precipitation, right? So rain and snow come down from heaven and come to the earth. And God sends us the rain so that we can have plants and so that we can have food and so that we can survive. Well, in the same way, out of heaven comes the only thing that can cross the boundary between God and man. And this passage tells us that that's the word of God. There's actually a really amazing truth from the book of Isaiah that's explained here. If you look up just a couple verses from verse 8 and verse 6, what we were reading a moment ago, we didn't read verse 6, But it says in verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Did you guys hear that? Call upon him while he is what? 
near. But I thought you just said God was as far distant from us as the earth is from the heavens. Well, that's explained here in verse 11. It says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. So just like the rain and the snow are able to cross that boundary between heaven and earth, God's word falls upon us so that we can be near him. The concept of God's word is actually a a huge theme in scripture. You can read about it all over the scripture. I want to think about some of the different places it shows up. You'll remember in the very beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And how did he create it? By speaking. That was absolutely right. That's good. It was through his word. He used his word to create the heavens and the earth. Many years later, God spoke to his people, his chosen people, Israel, by giving them his law. And the way he did that was to give his word to Moses. He spoke to Moses. He actually wrote some of his words out on stone, but then he spoke the rest of it to Moses and told Moses to write it all down. Now, many years later, Israel turned away from God, and so God sent them prophets. And the prophets came, and what did they always start with? Thus says the Lord, right? He used his word to create the world. He used his word to guide the world. He used his word to correct his people. And of course, we know that there was actually a day when God himself came across that gap. It's through Jesus Christ that we can know God. It's through Christ that we can know his salvation. And at the beginning of the Gospel of John, you guys have heard this before. This is, what John, this is how John describes the incarnation of Christ. In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what did John call Jesus here? The Word. Jesus Christ is the Word of God who's come to bridge the gap. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 55. Jesus is God's Word that came down from the heavens. And Jesus didn't come just to be a good example. He didn't come to, be, to make God more relatable. Jesus came because we have a terrible and otherwise unsolvable problem. Our sin has separated us from God. And there's only one solution to that. There's only one way we can be made right with God, and that's the cross. But you can't have the cross without Christmas. The reason that we are in Cameroon is because we know the solution to the Bakum's biggest problem, and that's Christmas. It's that Christ came. And that he came here as a baby and grew up. And he lived a perfect life. He was tempted in all ways just like we are. But he never sinned. And so when he died on the cross, when he shed his blood for us, he didn't just die as God, but he died as a perfect man. As a perfect sacrifice. And it is only through Jesus that the bakum can be saved. It's only through Jesus that we can be saved. Now, this passage tells us that Jesus is like rain, and he is in several ways. He's like the rain because he is able to come from the heavens to the earth and cross that boundary that we're not able to cross. But did you hear how the rain works in verse 10? In verse 10, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to the earth, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. If we didn't have rain, we couldn't have plants. Without plants, we can't eat. And without plants, we can't have seeds, so we can plant more plants so that we can eat. And so without the rain, we would not be able to survive physically. So Jesus is like the rain in that he comes down from heaven, but he's also like the rain in another way. In verse 12, he says, For you shall, oops, sorry, verse 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. So Jesus, the word of God, is like the rain in that it, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Jesus is like the rain in that he accomplishes everything that God wanted him to. He's also like the rain because just like how we can't survive without the rain physically, we can't survive without Christ eternally. My neighbors are farmers. All of them go out to their fields pretty much every day, and they know for sure that they need the rain. We have a dry season. For several months, it doesn't rain at all, and they know they can't grow any food during that season. They have to wait until the rain comes, but they don't know how much they need Jesus, and so they drink themselves silly because they can feel that they have this problem. They know that it's there, but they don't know the solution. They know that there's a holiday that we call Christmas, but they don't know Christ. And so I live there among them, we live among them, because we want them to know Jesus. Because we want them to know that there is a solution to their biggest problem. 
Now what's amazing about this passage is it doesn't leave us there. It does tell us that there's a great problem, that there's distance between God and man. It also tells us that there's a solution, which is wonderful news. But it goes even further, and it tells us the result of God's salvation, which is everlasting joy. You can read that in verses 12 and 13. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is actually a really vivid description of how God's uh, everlasting joy is going to come as a result of God's word. But it's kind of hard to understand it if you don't understand the context. Remember, this is, um, this is Isaiah speaking to God's people who had been sold into slavery, had been brought into slavery, kidnapped into slavery, in a heathen land because of their own sin. So God had sent them a prophet to, to warn them and to tell them to stop, but they chose not to stop. They chose to continue in their idolatry. And so now they were dealing with the consequences for their sin. Can you imagine the sorrow of knowing your children will grow up in slavery because of your sin? I don't know if we can imagine it, but Psalm 137 gives us a little bit of a taste of it. It says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing to us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So with broken hearts their mouths were closed. The Babylonians were calling, Sing to us a song about Jerusalem. And they couldn't even do it because they were so sad. And it's to these people Isaiah is describing everlasting joy. He is describing global singing. This passage is telling us the mountains and the hills are going to be involved in singing to the Lord. The trees are going to be clapping their hands. What Isaiah is telling them is that when God's word goes forth, it brings about joy, and it brings about love, and it brings about peace. And that overwhelming joy and peace and love actually will spread one day all over the earth until there's no longer a chasm between God's people and God. This hope of this future was still available to Israel because they still had an opportunity to repent. God was still near to them through his word. And he was offering them this salvation. But Isaiah does an even more wonderful thing here in that he shows them He does this several places in the book. He shows them that the greatness of God's salvation is actually going to go beyond their present circumstances. So if they repented, there's promises here that God will bring them back out of of slavery, out of exile. And that's awesome, and I'm sure that they were looking forward to that. But it's going to be so much bigger bigger than that. Look at what it says in verse 13. It says, Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So in other places, Isaiah describes a new heavens and a new earth where lions will lay down with lambs. Well, here he's telling them that thorns and briars are one day never going to exist again. And instead, the cypress and the myrtle, those are flower trees. God's going to take those thorns and those briars and he's going to grow flower trees. Now, like I said, all of my neighbors are farmers. And it is just brutal. We live right on the edge of, of a rainforest. Some of my neighbors, their fields where they grow their food is in the rainforest. They actually cut down trees in the rainforest to make a field. And the, the land is so fertile that everything grows, which is awesome when you're growing food because it grows the food. But it also means that everything else grows at the same time. And so my neighbors are going out every day with machetes and just hacking away at weeds, at the jungle, really, that is growing in and trying to overtake their plants that they're growing for food. I went out with one of my friends. His name is Bosco. You're going to see him in just a second. We'll show a picture. I went out with him uh, very early in the morning, um, and I noticed, first of all, that he was wearing long sleeves, which seems strange to me because this is sub-Saharan Africa, so it's really hot all the time. But I realized why he did that very quickly because as we're walking on the path to his village, it took us hours to get to his, uh, his, um, 
his land where he grows food. And um, while we're walking, this vine just reaches out and grabs my arm and tears a chunk of flesh off of it. It's just this vine that has, I mean, tiny thorns, and it just tore me apart. So even before I've gotten to the field where I'm going to be doing my work, I'm bleeding because the earth is cursed, and it is full of thorns. And to people like this, God is describing a world without thorns. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection accomplished the salvation of his people, which is awesome. But it did so much more than that. His salvation is so great, it will one day change the physical properties of our earth. One day, completely, God's word will come, and it will save all of his children. And, and, And he will destroy all of his enemies. And just as the rain falls from heaven and feeds the earth, God's word will work here completely, and it will change everything. In Revelation 21, John tells us that he heard a a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. All of it will be gone. Thorns will be gone. Crying, pain, and death will be gone. And all that will be left is joy. Friends, this is why I I live in Cameroon. This is why I've chosen to live in a village with people who don't know Jesus. This is why I raised my kids two days away from a good hospital It's because of everlasting joy. I've only tasted of this joy, but even though I haven't seen its fullness, I know what to expect, and it will be perfect. To these people, to my friends who are tormented for their whole lives and die hard deaths of, of tropical sicknesses, God describes an everlasting joy that can only come when his word comes. My friends can live for eternity in everlasting joy, but only if they know of Jesus. Only if they have his word. Now we know that God's word came not only through Jesus, but he actually sent God's word in the Bible. And so we became Bible translators because we want them to know of Jesus and we want them to have the fullness of what he has told us. This is God's word that has also come to bridge the gap so we can know about Jesus. And because we have this word in English, that's the only reason that we know of Jesus. And what we'll find here when we read it, just like we read today, is that there is a problem that we all have. And that problem is that we are distant from God because of our sin. But there's a great solution to this. God has bridged the gap between us and, God, between us and him with his word and specifically with Christ. And the result of that is everlasting joy. I was hoping to give you guys a a little taste of what it looks like for people who have never had God's word um, to have it. So that you can see what that that joy looks like on the faces of people who were once living like the Bakum. The Bakum don't have any of the word. They don't even have a written language yet. We're getting there. But the Kimyal people in Papua, Indonesia have received God's word. They've received the New Testament. After 30 years of translators working with them, they were able to have a dedication for the New Testament. And they, uh, they recorded this. This, this dedication, and we're going to watch the video. And while you watch it, I'm praying, I, I ask you to, to look at their faces. I ask you to read the words that they say about God's word. And I also ask you to, to ask yourself um, if you treasure God's word as much as they do. And if not, that you would ask God to help you to treasure his word as much as they do. So let's watch the video. It's an amazing video, isn't it? Mm. This is the the kind of video that keeps us going on those hard days. Uh, I hope to invite you all to our dedication uh, one day for the New Testament, and I hope it'll be just like that. Um, As we've uh, been out there in Cameroon living among the different people groups, um, we've realized how much of a treasure the Word of God is, and we've realized how blessed we are as uh, Americans, as English speakers really, um, to have just such a, a wealth of resources, uh, a wealth of Bible translations really. And we found that the, the rest of the world is not like us. 
Um, so there's 7,000 languages, living languages, people are using in the world today. And of those languages, only 670 have the entire Bible translated into their language. So that's less than 10% of the world's languages that have the entire Bible. And um, so Stacy's going to tell you a little bit more right now about what we call the famine for the Word of God. And I'm going to have our, our volunteers come up here. Good morning, everybody. Um, when Dave and I were in seminary, we took a class on church history, and we read about all the men who died so that we could have the Bible in English. At that point, we had heard about Bible translation, and what we had heard is that it was really, really hard, that a lot of the, peop- a lot of the languages without the Bible also didn't have a written uh, language. They just had an oral language, and we were really intimidated by that, and we were more or less unwilling um, to, to be Bible translators. But as we studied about William Tyndale, who was burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English, and about John Wycliffe, whose bones were dug up and burned for his translations of the Bible into English, we realized that they were willing to go to the stake for us to have the Bible, and yet we were unwilling to cross the ocean so that others could have the Bible in their language. And the Lord brought us to a place of repentance for that unwillingness. Now behind me is the heritage of those who translated the Bible into English. I am sure that these men had no idea that their labors would result in 900 translations or paraphrases of the Bible into English. Behind me is about 100 different versions or translations, but we have 900 Uh, different versions. I'm sure that John Wycliffe and William Tyndale had no idea that we'd have Reformation study Bibles, apologetic study Bibles, children's Bibles, and even a waterproof Bible is up here that you can read in the shower. So this stage here represents all of the versions of the Bible that we have in English, whereas this list that Dave's going to hold for me represents the thousands of people groups that do not yet have a single word of the Bible in their language. For instance, the 76,300 people who speak the Chinua language in Algeria are without the word of God. These people are 100% Muslim, 0% Christian. Further down on the list is the roughly 1.5 million people who speak the Sajuria language in India who are without one verse of the Bible in their language. The 6,000 people who speak a language called Bebil in Cameroon have actually sang and danced for Dave and I to try to entice us to come to their people group to translate the Bible for them. And this list keeps going on. Dave, if you'll show. On this list, you have the people group name, how many speakers there are, there are, and what continent they're found in. And I pray that as we see this list, we wouldn't see numbers, but that we would see faces, that we would see eternal souls. That will spend forever either worshiping our Savior with us, Jesus Christ, or forever under God's wrath in hell. Eternal souls, like our friends among the Bakum. I'm going to tell you about two of our friends among the Bakum who are represented on this list, actually. The first friend is named Matthew. Matthew was our first friend when we moved into our village in Cameroon. He was the village chief until another man was elected to be his replacement. A few days after his election, the new chief mysteriously died, and the village was in an absolute uproar with people shouting and rioting and screaming in the streets at one another because the village accused Matthew of killing this new chief uh, by using witchcraft. And Matthew admitted that that was true. Matthew got scared and immediately started attending our church in order to find spiritual protection from the angry villagers. But the problem is that our church is conducted entirely in French, and Matthew does not understand French, and he cannot read in French. But he kept attending and slowly learned when to sit, when to stand, when to pray, when to bow his head. 
But Matthew did not understand. Just like if we were, someone was to come up here and speak in German or French or Bakum, a sermon, it would mean absolutely nothing um, to us here. And so Matthew left the church and never came back. And I believe it's because he didn't understand what was being taught. After Matthew left our church, one day I was sitting with him and his wife, and they explained to me how they lost um, several children and that they were afraid that their daughter Madeline was soon going to die. Madeline is five years old, and they had me uh, lift up her shirt because they wanted to show me that her stomach was extremely bloated. And as I was looking at her stomach, I noticed also that she had tons and tons of little tiny cuts because they had taken her to a local healer who had cut her with razor blades. And I knew Madeline. She, has, she played at our house a lot, and she just didn't smile and just didn't play. Now, this is Matthew's family, and this is Matthew's story. And this was likely his father's story and his father's story. There are millions of people who are born, who live in poverty, who seek a solace from the poverty, often through drunkenness. Matthew himself dabbles in witchcraft. His hope is that his dead ancestors that he believes live around him um, will bring him health and wealth. And then Matthew watches his children die. One day Matthew will die and stand before God, and unless he repents, he will pay for his sins forever. This man, Matthew, represents millions of people who are on this list, who are lost, and who need revelation from God in a language that they can understand. Another kind of person on this list are those who have heard the gospel in their language, who have believed, but who simply cannot grow in their faith without the word of God. Among these people... One of, one of these people is named Bosco. Bosco is a Bakum person. He was one of our language partners. And he grew up in a typical animistic household where he trusted in things like cords around his waist to protect him. He, too, believed that there were spirits of his ancestors all around him, and he needed to manipulate them in order to receive health and prosperity. But the Lord sent a man from Burkina Faso to share the gospel with Bosco. Bosco believed and he broke from his animistic roots, the only Bakum person I know who has done that. This church planter appointed Bosco as a pastor, and a church was born. Now, Bosco has a basic understanding of French, so he reads the Bible in French and then translates it into Bakum on Sunday mornings. When we attended his church, he actually preached a message of work salvation. How you're made right with God is through what you do. I imagine any of us would do the same thing if we did not have a Bible in our mother tongue. To help us understand what reading the Bible is like for Bosco, I wanted to put up a couple of slides. So, this right here is a language of the Quechua people. Is there anybody here who can read this verse for us or maybe preach a sermon based on this verse? Probably not, right? Because it's not a language that we speak. This, if we were to hand an English Bible to Bosco, this is what he would see. He would just see writing on a page, but it wouldn't have meaning. Now, if we advance to the next slide, we as English speakers could probably make out a few words from this verse. Since it's written in Jamaican Creole, which incorporates some English, we could maybe make out the word God, G-A-D there, and the word people. But we couldn't understand the meaning of the verse. And for many of the Bakum, reading French is like this. Maybe there's a word or two that is somewhat familiar, but overall the meaning is lost. As one missionary said, reading the word of God in a language that you don't understand is like eating soup with a fork. You get enough to get the flavor, but you can't be nourished by it. Now let's move on to the next slide and read this verse. It's actually found in 2 Thessalonians 3.1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. So how do we feel when we read this verse in our mother tongue? We feel good, right? We feel like God is talking to us. We feel a sigh of relief. And this is what Bosco needs. He needs a Bible in his mother tongue. And on this list that Dave put here in the aisle represents thousands upon thousands who may be actual believers, but who are thwarted in their Christian walk, thwarted in their ability to lead the church well because they can't understand the Bible. And so it is because of the Boscos and it's because of the Matthews that we are living in Cameroon, Africa, as Bible translators. 
And now Dave is going to come up and talk about how we as a church body in Frisco, Texas, can respond to the fact that there are so many without the word of God. I'm going to let our uh, helpful helpers go back. You can put the Bibles down. As they go down, I just want you to think about the fact that at any time as English speakers, we can, uh, we can look up a Bible on an app or on the internet or find a Bible under a pew. Um, like I said, uh, we've learned um, throughout time that most people don't have that opportunity. And, um, and I think today as, as a church, um, as we're thinking about how we can respond to God's word, there's certain things that we talked about. So the Bakum people, because of their inexposure to God's word, are living in just complete darkness. They're just completely separated from God. They don't know him at all. And they live at enmity with God. They're enemies with God and they're enemies of one another. So that's a, a fact that we learned today. We also talked about the fact that we know the solution to that problem. And that these people who do live really hard lives and die really hard deaths can still know God. They can have a better life in the sense that they can come to know God. They can, they can have peace that, that transcends understanding while they're here alive. But then we also know that these people can spend eternity, um, eternity with eternal joy and have nothing but joy. And as we think about those things and we think about just all the, the wealth of resources that we have, I think there, there's three different ways we can respond and the first way is to just really seek to treasure God's word in our own lives. To be honest, when we're looking at the Kimyal people and I see the joy on their faces and they're weeping, I have never wept like that over God's word. And I don't know for sure that we who have had God's word so much, we've, we have it around us all the time, can really even understand how great their joy is right now. But I think we can try. I think we can try to have that much joy in the way that we feel about the Bible and the way that we love God's word. But we're never going to get to that point if we're not reading it or studying it or memorizing it. So it's, uh, it's January. It's the beginning of January still, and you can still make um, New Year's resolutions. I looked into it. You still can. So <laughs> if you're thinking about what this next year is going to look for, for you— and you're looking back and saying, I could grow in my, my love for God's word. I could grow in the joy that I take in God's word. I would just ask you to, to think about how you could commit this year to spending time in God's word, to memorizing it. Did you hear in the Kimyal video, there's one woman uh, who, can, who can quote the entire book of Ephesians. You know, wouldn't that be awesome if we could say that we have people in our church, if somebody's like, I have a question about Ephesians, just say, go see Bob. He, he's memorized the whole thing. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing that we could do? And I don't know everyone here, and so there might actually be people here who are still separated from God. There might be people here who know what it is to feel uh, the problem and not know the solution. And I just want to let you know you don't have to be that way. We are so blessed here because we can actually have access to God's word right now. You're probably holding it in your lap or have one very close to you. So I would encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't know Jesus, there is a Bible in, in a lot of the different pews, and you can take that. Just take it home and start reading in the book of John. Uh, every time I read a gospel, I'm, I, I learn more things about Jesus, and I love him more. Um, and that's, a, that's for those of us who know Jesus well. Second, I'm going to encourage us to pray. As we grow to treasure God's word, and we grow in our knowledge and understanding of how many people don't have it, I don't think that we can just do nothing. And when Jesus was seeing the fact that there are so many people in the world that don't know him, and he was looking out, and Stacy and I have learned the depth of this, being in, we're the only Bible translation project in the east region of Cameroon, and there's 113 languages in Cameroon that don't have a single word of God's Bible. So Jesus was looking at that, he looked at the harvest, and he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And do you guys remember how he said to respond to that? He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out more laborers. Now, to help you in this, we made some cards. Um, I looked at statistics, and there's, I think, 2 billion people in the world today that don't, have never heard of Jesus and have, don't have anyone in their life that have ever heard of Jesus. So 2 billion people in the world. But it's really hard to pray for 2 billion people. Like, that's just a, it's, it's, it's an unattainable goal, really. So we made some cards. Of those 113 people groups in Cameroon that don't have a single word of the Scripture, we've written a name of each of those people groups at the bottom of each of these cards. Now, these guys are Camer or Bakum guys. I couldn't find pictures of every single, every single people group. But I put a different name on the bottom of each one of these. So there's 113 unique different cards out on our table out here. And if you grab this and stick it on your refrigerator or put it in your cubicle or above where you wash dishes, somewhere where you actually would have the time to pray. 
Put it somewhere where you'll see it. And just pray. On here we just wrote, pray that the Lord would send out a Bible translator to the Tibia people. So this is just an opportunity for you all to be involved. There was a woman who contacted us a number of years ago, and she said, I am so glad that you guys are going to the the Bakum people. Um, I received a card like this a number of years ago, and I started praying for the Bakum people that they would have a Bible translator. And I went and looked back at when she said she was praying, and it was the year we decided to become missionaries. So if you believe in prayer, and I know you do, take one of these and pray for these people. They need your prayers. I also would challenge any community group leaders that are here, take a a few of these. Maybe commit your community group to a people group or to several people groups that you pray for. Finally, um, the last challenge I would say to you all today and to respond to what we've learned today is to go. I actually, I challenge all of you here, every single one of you, it doesn't matter how old or young you are, I challenge you to consider, to pray about going into international missions. I personally didn't think about it at all until college. I thought you had to have some sort of a a light from heaven or some sort of a dream that called you into missions. But what I found is that missionaries are just people that love the lost and who love God's glory and who love God's word and want other people to love it too. And if that's your heart, you don't need a dream. You don't need a vision. Um, But I would ask you to pray about it and pray um, that when you're praying this prayer, um, send more laborers out to the harvest. Consider, is it possible that I might be the answer to that prayer? And I also wanted to just add for those of you who are parents here, who are raising your children, um, children love to dream. They love to dream about what the future could look like. I wanted to be an insurance salesman when I was a kid. I don't know why. That was my dream. Um, and your kids are going to dream, and they're going to think about being doctors, and they're going to th- dream about being lawyers and uh, astronauts and, and all sorts of things. I would ask that you as parents just insert missionary in there from time to time. Uh, we teach the K kindergarten first grade um, Sunday school class in the first service here, and, and we do prayers for different people groups. And I sometimes I'll just add in there, you know, you guys might be able to go to this people group. You could be a missionary. And I have had kids almost fall out of their chair, like just so shocked at this idea that they could become a missionary. It's just not natural to us. It's not something we think about. So I'd encourage you as parents to just add that in there. Say, hey, maybe someday you could be a missionary. I want to close. There's a a great 19th century preacher you've heard of, um, Charles Spurgeon. And he was a man who was really founded in the Word of God. He knew the Word of God well. He loved the Word of God. And because he knew the Word of God well, he knew that there were going to be many people who go to hell. That's just the truth that the Bible teaches us. The way is narrow. It's a reality that we deal with as Christians. But Spurgeon, with all of his, his great theological knowledge and all of his intelligence and his great ability to preach, he wasn't content with that. And this is what he said. He said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. So my prayer for for us as a church is that we would deeply treasure God's word. That we would love it. That we would try to love it as much as the Kimiel people do. And I pray that that love of God's word and the love of God would not allow us to be silent. I pray that we we would be people who pray for the lost, the unreached people of the world. I pray that we would be people who pray that God would send out more workers. I pray that we'd be people who would go and be an answer to that prayer. And I pray that we would be people who are not content to let people go to hell unwarned or unprayed for. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.